This is episode 11 of the Dominic Pre-Med Show. Uh, guys, I'm having fun doing this. You guys enjoying all this Dominic Pre-Med Show, me bringing you guys regular high-level content to help you guys get into medical school? Well, today we're talking about once you get into medical school or you're trying to make the decision of which medical school you should choose, we are talking about how the change that just got announced today formally of step one going to pass-fail, how that plays into your decision-making and how it changes your prospects for residency based on where you are as a medical student, this is a big change, guys. A big, big change. It's going to have far-reaching implications. And today, I'm going to break it down. I'm hoping to stay under an hour, but we'll see how it goes. But we have to get into this and really, really talk about it because people are going to be spouting opinions. And you guys don't want opinions, right? You want facts. You want objective. You want to know what's really mattering for your future. So let's get to it. Dominate Pre-Med Show. But stop making excuses. Stop whining. Stop, right? Get at it. No excuses. Just dominate. All right, guys. We are here. We are live action. Like I said, this is Dominic Pre-Med Show. It is all about getting you guys into medical school, bringing you guys specific and actual information to make you guys what? Independent, competent, and successful pre-meds. So let's go. I'm Dr. Pineset, guys. Today, step one. Oh, my gosh. It's changing. What does it mean? So many of you guys sent me messages, texts all this stuff, and I've been preparing for this because the talks about this have been going on for a long time, of changing the way board exams and licensing exams and medicine go because people are stressed out, because admissions is a wreck all over the place, and they're trying to create equity and they're trying to make changes to make medicine healthier because medicine is grossly sick, and this is the first major change that has been made, and there are more things coming down the pipe, guys, uh, that you guys are going to be hearing about there's going to be massive changes to medical training and medical curriculum. This is change number one, um, and it's multi-level changes today, but the big one was that step one is going to pass-fail. So we're going to break it down uh, today, and yes, IMG is going to be some changes, right, to deal. So let's talk about it. So this was first really seriously talked about in the summer. So since that time, I've been gathering information, I've been talking to deans, I'm talking to program directors for residencies, seeing what's going to shake out. So I'm going to bring that to you guys today. Okay. Zach says, listen to this man, killing it right now in medical school. Zach, first year medical student, killing it. Uh, and he won't have to worry about whether step one is passed or he's in a rocket. So there are multiple changes that were made official today that we're going to kick in um, at various time points. Let's review them. The first change is that they are now limiting the maximum amount of attempts, right, or total retakes of licensing exams. Previously, people were allowed to take six attempts at these step exams, now they're saying only four attempts. And this will kick in January 2021. And I'll quickly break this down to get to the ones you guys care about. But this change was done to improve test security. Because as you guys have seen, you guys are some felonious criminal kind of cats. You guys will post anything and everything on a forum without regard to who owns that property, if it's copyrighted, and about integrity. Kid you not, everything's on Reddit, everything's on SDN. It's shameful that you guys post on this stuff. So USMLE has noticed that a lot of their exam stuff is showing up too precisely on these forums. And what they found by analyzing the data is that students who are retaking these tests, you're seeing similar questions, the same questions over and over again, so you're able to report it out better to these forums. They want to cut down on that. The other thing is, is they want to save money for all you guys. They want to reduce the test center burden by making it clear that you guys should be taking these tests seriously and they've looked at the statistics and people who retake and retake and retake licensing exams 
the percentages of these people who are able to make, because you guys got to remember, there's step one, step two, step three, any in training exams for your intern year, for your residency, there are actual board licensing exams. For, so for I'll just run around anesthesia. So I have to take step one after the first two years of medical school. I had to take step two, CKCS, fourth year of medical school. One is a written test. One is a clinical exam test. Maybe I should go into more detail. You guys want more detail on all these? Okay, step one covers the first two years of basic science for medical school. That is a written test. It's long after the first two years. Step two, CK, clinical knowledge, is the same thing as step one, but is a clinically oriented test based on what you should have learned through your clerkships in medical school the third and fourth year. Step two, CS, is your ability to talk to patients, be a human being, and to carry out the actions of treating a patient that you've demonstrated on paper in person. So it's almost like a clinical skills interview, if you will. And that is taken again at the end of fourth year. Then after you finish that, you move on to your internship. Internship is either in medicine or surgery for the most part. These internships give you a year of broad breadth of training in order to be prepared to have a foundation for your subspecialty. In my case, I did a transitional year, which is like an internal medicine year where I do a lot of medicine in preparation for my anesthesia residency. At the end of your intern year, you take step three, which says, does this person have a basic broad breadth of experience in medicine? Can they be clinically competent? It's a written test. Then you go on to your residency, in my case, anesthesia. And every single year of anesthesia training, there's three years, we take what's called an in-training exam. It is an exam you take to see how you're progressing relative to all your fellow residents across the country. You also take first year and third year ABA exams, anesthesia board exams or whatever. The basic exam is after the first year. Then you take the advanced exam after the third year. And that advanced exam is your licensing to become an official board certified anesthesiologist. That was a lot. Did all that make sense? So there's lots of tests throughout your whole process. So looking at the data, people who fail a licensing exam and have to retake it, the more times they retake it, the percentage of those people who actually get through all the different testing levels to become board certified, if they had to retake it a bunch of times, is super low. So if you fail a licensing exam two times, the odds of you getting through all the steps is very unlikely. So they said, well, let's just cut that crap out and push them into another box. So that's what's happening. So security and then also that. So the first major change, if you guys are joining us, from six attempts per licensing exam to four. The second change is that you must pass step one prior to taking step two CS. And where this kind of came into play was sometimes with INGs, where they would take their international exams, do step two CS to show that they're clinically competent, and then wait and take step one when they have time to prepare specifically for that exam. And so now they're trying to say, listen, it makes sense if step one, one comes before two, you should have to take step one before you take step two. That's what happened. The third change that is everyone freaking out is that step one has gone from a three number, like right? So 200 and something, 100 and something, to now being like a, a numeric exam like the MCAT. It has gone to being pass fail. This will kick in at the earliest January 2022. So that means for the people who are entering medical school this year, you will be amongst the first cohort to go into this pass-fail step one exam. So for everyone who's already a medical student, if you're already in this kind of weird boat where you're already in there, you might miss this clip. But for those of you who are 
now entering medical school, you're going to understand that it's pass fail. All right. With that being said, step two CK and step two CS, which you take fourth year, are staying as they currently are. Step two CS has always been pass fail the clinical skills. Can you talk to the patient or can you not? Right? Pass or fail. Step two CK has always been numeric, just like step one, and it is staying a numeric exam. So that is a graded exam. Have I laid it all out now? We got all the foundation out. Can I actually get to what it means? <laughs> if you guys are still with me, let me know right now that you guys are ready to get the specifics. As I go into answering this question, whenever something like this is a major shakeup happens, people get very attached to their opinion. And so they're biased and looking for confirmation of their opinion. And so what's going to happen is that as people watch this, as people listen to this, people are going to be upset some people because of what I say. I feel because of that, that I have to preface what I say with my experience. So you understand that I'm a legitimate source and I'm coming at this from as objective of a place as you can come from and an experienced season place as possible. So let's run it down. The first thing is, is I was right. A first generation student of color, disadvantaged college student. Okay. I went to a public institution, not a private school. I scored at the top of the MCAT curve. I was a top scorer on the MCAT. Crushed it, dominated, as I say, with my How to Dominate the MCAT course, right? With that score and with my resume, I got into my top choice medical school, which is in the most competitive state in the country, California, and is actually the big dog in that state, which is Stanford. So I got into Stanford Medical School. I attended Stanford Medical School. I'm well-respected there. I then went on to score in the top 5% of my medical school class at Stanford on step one. The top 5% at Stanford. So would you imagine the top 5% at Stanford is a high percentage or a low percentage, right? So I, again, dominated step one. So I have no issues with step one, okay? I then went on and I got into my top choice anesthesia residency right? It's a competitive specialty, anesthesia. And I got into a place that's in a competitive place, University of California, San Diego. It's in Southern California. So highly competitive. I got my top choice. I did well in residency, passed all my exams, and I got my top choice job at UCSD on faculty, clinical faculty at UCSD in the Department of Anesthesia. So does everybody understand, right? Wide breath of lots of success, no bitterness, nothing, Tests are not a thing to me. I dominate everything because I know how to study, okay? With all that being said, a pass-fail step one change is problematic. I'll, I'll, I won't bury the lead. It's problematic. The reason this change has occurred is because medicine has reached a breaking point. Medical students are sick. Residents are sick. Attendings are sick. Medical, our system is in sh it's shambles, right? We can't get insurance right. Our costs are booming. There's all kinds of interest groups. It's a mess. And so they're trying to fix the sickness in medicine. And this is supposed to start tackling that. The reasons cited by the governing body who did this change were one, that they wanted to improve and ease the transition into medical education and remove the pressure. Why? Because first-year medical students are overwhelmed beyond belief because all of you guys as pre-meds 
justify all your average and your mediocre and your just getting by academics. Then you get to medical school, which is a very intense and a very independent study focused environment, and you don't have the skills. So you are overwhelmed and flustered and bewildered by medical school. So in order to ease that transition, right, because step one covers the non-clinical early years, by taking the burden of that step one score off, you can relax in the medical school. We'll get there. <laughs> I would say the better solution, right, is just to learn how to study before you get there so it is smooth on yourself, but whatever. The second reason they wanted to do this was to remove the emphasis on step one in residency selection. Because if you guys are unaware, step one functions for residency placement like the MCAT does for medical school placement. So it's the equivalent of a medical school MCAT, if you will. So it's hugely important to admissions. And so what they were saying was that step one is based off the non-clinical years. And the data shows that your step one score doesn't translate to how good you are clinically. So wouldn't it make sense to remove the emphasis on a non-clinical test and move it onto a clinical test, which is step two CK, which if you guys remember, will stay graded. Does everybody understand what I'm saying there? When it comes to residency admissions, step one is even more heavily weighted than the MCAT is for med school admissions. On multiple occasions, I've seen it happen where people will not talk to a medical student strictly because of their step one score. When you go to residency fairs, someone will approach a program director and say, hey, listen, I'm listening to your program. I want to hear more about it. And they'll say, wait, what's your step one score? Oh, well, my step one score is 210, which is low. 210. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Well, you have a great day. Uh, nothing more for us to talk about. Keep walking. It's that important to residency admissions. Okay. Because of that, what has happened is that everyone focuses on the step one. And it is so heavily weighted in residency admissions that no one else really cares about anything else but step one, which is why I'm always instructing my students to go into medical school Screw everything else that they're going to tell you to focus on. Focus on step one, because if you get that right, everything else fades away. When people were evaluating me for residencies, I knew I was going to get my top choice because my step one score was so ridiculously high that when I said it, people got weak in the knees. Oh, snap. What did you say? And so, of course, they... Shannon, are you laughing? Shannon's in here right now. Say hi, Shannon. She's not laughing. I told her, I'm like, you can stay in here and hang out, but you cannot laugh. And she's laughing. This is not a joke. This is serious. Okay. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so, <laughs> right? It's that serious of an exam. It's heavily, heavily weighted. So they want to take some emphasis off of that and make more well-rounded medical students. That's noble. I like that. Okay. They also, the last thing is that they want to level the playing field. So they felt that disadvantaged, underrepresented students were at a disadvantage for getting their residencies. They've noticed that these students, diversity students, disadvantaged students, tend to score lower on step one than their white counterparts. White students score the highest on step one. Just like, right, minorities and disadvantaged students score lower on the MCAT. So they're saying by devaluing step one, 
we create a more level playing field for disadvantaged and underrepresented students to be successful. Antonia says hi, Shannon. Hello. We were just talking about dinner. If you guys don't know, Antonia's restaurant, San Monopoly in San Diego, it has the bomb Italian food. We're coming back soon, okay? <laughs> so let's break down really what's going on here. Is everybody, is everybody, is everybody following this so far? And that's a lot of information, but this is important because all these details matter as we're going to talk about what it means for you and what you can strategically do to position yourself to get the residency you want. I say this is very important because what you guys and many pre-meds fail to recognize is getting into medical school. Everyone thinks, oh, I should get into medical school. And no, the biggest bottleneck is actually in residency. Medical schools keep expanding space. Lots of medical schools, lots of medical schools. I think it's up by like 25%, something close to that. Medical school spots are opening up all the time. New medical schools here, blah, 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 all the time. Residencies, they don't change. So you get into medical school, but there's a limited number, a finite number of residency spots. So that's the bottleneck. So it highly matters the factors that go into residency because how many of you guys have a specialty that you are interested in? that you would love to go in. The flip side of this, how many of you guys have a specialty you would hate to go into? You would hate to go, man, I would never wanna catch babies. OBGYN, ugh. Well, if you don't have the proper resume as a medical student, you could end up spending your whole life practicing a specialty you don't love. That would be terrible, right? So anyway, if you look beyond all this stuff, the real reason that they're changing this step one and why this is the first change to quote unquote relieve the create wellness amongst medical students is because people are finally starting to realize what I've been spouting for forever, which is that the way preclinical medicine is taught in medical schools is too heavily focused on abstract facts in an attempt to create a curve amongst very smart, very hardworking, very driven people. If you guys imagine, right, the people who get into medical school are the most hardworking, most academically focused people around. So imagine how difficult it is to create a bell curve amongst medical students where you create some people who miss a whole bunch of questions. So in order to do that, what you have to do is get more and more and more and more abstract until you're talking about things that have no bearing on treating a patient. Just so, just so you could make it impossible for someone to get all the points and create a spread. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys ever been in a class like this in college where teachers write questions that are completely unfair in the interest of creating that curve? That's what USMLE test people have been doing is creating these super abstract questions. So when you create abstract questions, it teaches students not to focus on what's high yield, what's important for treating patients. Instead, students start focusing on getting at tests and consequently, they're not clinically ready. Does everybody understand what I'm saying right now? When I go out and I teach medical students, because medical schools invite me in to talk to their medical students about preparing for step one, about succeeding as a medical student, about getting into residency, I'm consistently aghast at the fact that people are using tools like Sketchy, are using other people's Anki decks, are using 
superficial study tools in the interest of getting at the abstract facts. And what they're doing is they're losing the concepts that matter. I can't tell you how many medical students couldn't tell me anything meaningful about physiology. If a patient were to go into heart failure, cardiac arrest right in front of them, they couldn't tell me a freaking thing what to do. But they can tell me all the advanced molecules of some obscure disease that you'll never see. It's problematic. So what's going to happen? You guys are going to see a lot of changes all throughout all levels of medical training. But one of the changes that's going to come very soon, I'm not sure when, is going to be, and it's already starting to happen slowly, is the de-emphasis of preclinical medical school where schools are already shortening the first two years of medical school to less than two years. They're going to 15 months, 18 months, 20 months. Some schools have even gone to like 13 months, 14 months of preclinical medical school in the classroom. And then they start clinicals earlier and they push step one back to after clinicals. Making step one pass fail opens up the floodgates because now medical schools don't have to worry about preparing the student for step one so you're going to see a lot of schools shortening the preclinical time in medical school even more. There are some schools, and I've talked to administrators, who are talking about doing eight months of preclinical medical school. And then you start clinicals, boom, right then. If you guys know anything about the difference between the American medical school training system or physician training system and the European system, the European system is what we're moving towards which is more of, hey, less of this learning and more making people physician technicians. So saying, can you perform the job clinically as opposed to building this huge fund of knowledge that may or may not be useful to you. So this is what this change is really doing. So they're selling it as wellness. I don't really buy it all. And I don't buy the diversity stuff. I'm gonna break down why in a second. This is the real reason. Does everybody understand what I'm saying right now? Hope you guys are enjoying this episode. I hope you guys are learning. This is a big change, like I keep saying. And so there's a lot that goes into this. Take the time, please. Why well, I split this episode into two episodes because you guys need to get all this information to be informed. I want to take a second to let you guys know. I know I'm saying a lot of doom and gloom, but as I will get to, you can get around all this if you know how to study well. And I encourage all of you guys to look in the show notes below and check out my course, The Five Pillars of Studying Less and Getting Better Grades. It is the same study system I used to dominate college, get into Stanford Medical School, to dominate at Stanford Medical School, get in the top 5% of Stanford Medical School students on step one, and then also dominate residency. So if you wanna learn how to study, how to study efficiently, how to study independently, for your life, this is the course you need. I have a special discount on it below in the show notes, so check that out, guys, and get informed. Also, if this is your first time joining me, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you like what you're hearing, guys, there's so much good stuff in this Dominic Premed show, so take the time, subscribe, or follow this podcast, so that way you always are up to date on what's coming out on this podcast. Also, if you have a question, something you have concerned about, you can send me a voicemail at studenttransformation.com. There's a Send Dr. Pineset a voicemail tab. You can click on that and send me a voicemail and get featured on the show and get an answer to your question. So like I said, study course down below in the show notes and also the link to contact me and get your question answered, guys. Let's get back to the show. Okay. Now that we've laid that out, here are the problems. 
Even though step one is going to pass fail and everyone yells, hooray, we're not going to be evaluated on test scores. This is amazing. This is incredible. This is how it should always be. What you fail to realize, because you don't look through the details, is that step two, CK, which is the clinical version of step one, which you take in fourth year, is still graded. So what is going to happen in the short term is that schools are going to start relying heavier on step two CK. In my case, because my step one score was so high, I didn't study for step two at all. And I only took step two right before the match was due so that schools could see I had taken it. But no one actually, none of the residencies actually saw my step two score. Because my step one score was so high, nobody would care. But now what's going to happen is that there's no step one score, so that step two CK is going to be the new step one. So I can guarantee in the next three months, you're going to see all sorts of advertising for step two CK prep courses, prep classes, prep resources. You're going to see it. I called it here first. Everyone's going to be rolling out their step two CK prep because step two will replace step one. The problem with this, right, and this is a good thing because step two is a more clinically oriented test. That's phenomenal. I think that's great that that's the emphasis. The problem is, is one of the things that this organization was citing in terms of changing step one to pass fail was that there was a parallel curriculum that's been created in medical school. Medical school professors are paid to do research and to provide clinical care. They are not paid to teach. As a result, they are not good teachers and they don't focus on really shaping a well-rounded, well-delivered curriculum. The teaching in medical school is worse than the teaching you get in your college institution. Guaranteed. I went to Stanford and our curriculum, we actually had, they had Stanford, again, innovators. Stanford's an amazing medical school. They actually had professors who were paid specifically for their teaching prowess. As a result, our curriculum was actually okay. I didn't partake in any of it. I didn't go to lectures. I don't believe in lecture. I believe in being an independent student and learning on my own. And that's what I teach my students. But if you want to go to lecture, it was there and it was better. Even still, it was not great. And all the medical students complain. I was like, man, you guys don't know how good you got it because every other place is even worse. So what has happened is the curriculum is poor in your medical school. So everyone goes out and does the parallel curriculum, which is buying the first aid books buying Pathoma, buying Sketchy, buying Dr. Whoever's lectures for medical school. They do all these other things and they kind of disregard the, the core medical school curriculum. And so it became this huge secondary like black market of med school related study resources for step one. So what they're arguing is that if we get rid of step one's the emphasis on it, then people won't rush out and buy all this stuff and instead they're going to engage in medical school curriculum. Well, the real issue is that your medical curriculum sucks. You have to put resources and money and time and consideration into your medical curriculum to make it worthwhile. Because what's going to happen is students now, <laughs> knowing that step one doesn't matter, are still going to be buying all those other things, but now they're going to be paying less attention in your classes anyway. So you've actually devalued your preclinical years even more. Does everybody understand what I'm saying there? Like, we were trying to do one thing, but this is what's going to happen. People are just going to go get those resources more, and now it's going to be a step two CK market because this is the other important factor. Step one, there actually is a curriculum they could choose to partake of in medical school. The problem with step two is that clinical rotations, people don't care about teaching you. 
people care about providing care to patients. And if you happen to learn something as a medical student while you're there, that's an added bonus. But so because there's no formal curriculum, everyone already knows people who study for step two, study for shelf exams, they all buy the outside resources, right? Board review, all these things. So now that market is just going to balloon and now it's going to become a parallel clinical curriculum. You guys understand what I'm saying? The other consequence of this is that now that step two CK is heavier weighted, right? It matters. What are medical schools going to do? What are med schools going to do? Many, if not most medical schools make their clinical years pass fail or some derivation of pass fail. High pass, pass, marginal pass, fail. That grade, if there is one, is based off some sort of weighted average of your shelf score, which is after every single block. So say you rotate through surgery. There's a national shelf exam for surgery. Your score on that exam gets some percentage weight. Then your evaluations, your clinical evaluations get a certain weight. And based on those two things, they generate a grade for that clinical rotation. Does that make sense to everybody? So now if medical schools, if we know this, right, that those two things have some weighted percentage, if those two things weigh into your clinical grades, how do you think medical schools are going to change their weighting to reflect the fact that step 2CK has now become so much more important? Let's go, guys. Come on. We are live. Light up the box. Let me know. I want you guys thinking about this. This is important. You guys have to be critical thinkers. You can't just believe what people throw at you. I want you to think about it. If you're a medical school and you create clinical grades that are split between their shelf score and their clinical evaluations, knowing that a test score is going to be more heavily weighted for residency, are you going to make the shelf exam or the clinical evaluations more heavily weighted? Which one will matter more? Exactly. The shelf exam score will matter more. What does that do to the clinical medical student experience? It makes medical students spend less time treating patients and trying to be a good contributor to the team and changes their focus to what? Reading books, learning, getting ready, prep materials for the shelf exam. So now you have medical students whose focus is in the opposite place of where you want it to be. Additionally, if you now are a medical student, step one is after second year. And if you get a high step one score, then it really doesn't matter what else you do. So for me, third and fourth year medical school were chill time. I just relax, show up, take care of patients, learn as much as I want, whatever, and it was all good. But now if I have to compete on a shelf exam that is graded numerically, Every four weeks, what does that do to my stress level third and fourth year of medical school? Is it higher or is it lower? Cash app, we're going to get to how this affects IMGs. We haven't even got there yet, y'all. We are just cracking this shell open. This is point number freaking one of the problems here. We're going to get this. I'm telling you, we're going to break this down. It's a full, thorough breakdown. All the BS aside, we're going to get to it because there's a lot of things you guys have to understand about this. How will you feel as a third and fourth year medical student having to take a shelf exam every four weeks and it mattering? Right? 
you're going to be more stressed out. So in an attempt to make you more well, less stressed out about step one, they've just made you more, <laughs> less well, more stressed out about an exam every four weeks. Coupled with an exam at the end of medical school, so now you're dreading an exam for four years as opposed to dreading it for two years. Ingrid says, I've been stressed about my step score since I started med school. Well, now that stress of two years goes to four years of stress. Four years. <laughs> it's tough, right? It's an, it's, they didn't think about this and how that works. So the medical student focus has changed. And then also the school's weighted of clinical grades is going to change. Additionally, medical schools are going to recognize that, hey, wait a minute. We don't have step one anymore to have our students stand out. So what are they going to be tempted to do? add grades to the clinical years. So schools that were traditionally pass fail on clerkships are now gonna have to have grades. Does everybody understand? They're gonna have grades and what do grades do? Stress you out. So all that pass fail stuff you guys have enjoyed, it may go away. Wow, was that a lot of information guys? This is part one of what you need to know about the step one change. There is so much more to come. This episode was so packed, I had to make it a two-part episode. So make sure you guys click over to part two. I'll put the link below in the show notes. Click over to part two, learn more about what the step one change means for you. And also, if you have additional questions, or you have questions about something else, you want to be successful in your medical training, send me a voicemail. Studenttransformation.com is the website, and you can click send Dr. Pineson a voicemail to send me a voicemail. Get your question answered. I always love to hear from you guys. And if you have not already, make sure you guys subscribe, follow this podcast so you are always up to date getting the best, most trustworthy advice you can get about pre-medding and about making it through medical school successful and becoming a doctor. I will see you guys on part two. What do we always say, guys? No excuses, just dominate. Today is the day, guys. No more excuses. No more complaining. You're going to take your future in your own hands. You're going to dominate. You're going to be successful. Get to my website, studenttransformation.com. I challenge you. What are you going to do today to make your life better?